Okay. All right. Baruch Hashem. We'll get back together again for uh, getting a little ready for Pesach. And Pesach is probably the, more than any other holiday, where because you're looking at so many trees, you miss the forest. And every yontiv has its forest, and Pesach has its forest. What's the idea of the yontiv? Mm-hmm. And of course we know it's redemption and it's freedom, but it's very hard to relate to what that actually means as long as we're still in exile. So Tanya is the soul of Torah, and the Tanya teaches us in all the different ways how to relate to all the different aspects of Yiddishkeit of Torah. And chapter 46, which we're going to be learning tonight, is, I mean, it's not about Pesach. Chapter 47 is. Chapter 47 is with Alter. I mean, he does mention in 46 also Egypt and Pesach, and Yitzhiya Mitzrayim and the Exodus. But 47 is where he openly says clearly, where he says really clearly that it's, a, that it's connected. But the idea being that for us to be able to connect on a more intimate level, on an, on an emotional level, an intellectual level, to understand what's the forest, what's the idea behind the Holy Yom Tov Pesach. So I actually want to start with a story. I'm going to start with a story because I think this story every year I, I tell by the Seder. And I heard this story from my Rebbe, Rebbe Warmberger, like over 25 years ago. And every year I think about it. And I think it's the theme of chapter 46 of Tanya. And the story is that one day, <clears throat> the first morning of Pesach, when everyone came to shul, and everyone was, you know, after the Seder, everyone comes in a little uh, late, a little tired, and could you just press admit? Sorry. So, um, so everyone comes in a little late, a little tired to the Seder, and... What happened? The Bnei Yisoscher, this was by the Holy Bnei Yisoscher, and the Bnei Yisoscher, you know, there was a big oilum there for Pesach, and after davening, as soon as Shachris was over, the Bnei Yisoscher turned around, and he said, where's Moshele? Where's Moshele? And everyone was looking around the shul, and Moshele came, and Moshele was like trembling. He's like, he didn't want to go up to the Bnei Yisoscher, and the Bnei Yisoscher said to Moshele, I want you to tell everyone about your Seder last night. Now, Moshele, what a lot of people knew, was that he was the town, one of the town drunks. He was, didn't know how to... to he, he drank a lot. And Moshele said, Rebbe, please don't make me have to say over my Seder. And Bnei Sashko says, everyone want, please, I want everyone to hear, tell us about your Seder. So Moshele says, Rebbe, what could I tell you? I'm, uh, it was horrible. It was, it was a disaster. What happened was, I, you know, in those days to sell chametz wasn't so easy because they didn't trust, you know, the people would give them back. And so he tried to get rid of the chametz in time, but he had another two bottles of scotch or vodka, whatever they drank in, in, uh, in Galicia where the Bnei Sashko lived. They had another two bottles. And he said, I couldn't sell them, and it was Erev Pesach, and I couldn't find it in my heart to spill out the booze. I I couldn't, I I just couldn't spill it out. So I figured, I'll just drink it. And I drank down the two bottles. He drank, he he just downed the two bottles, and obviously when you down two bottles of booze, he passed out. He completely passed out. Came Myrev, his wife tried to wake him up to go to shul, he wouldn't get up. 
came, you know, people came back from shul, he wouldn't get up. He was completely passed out. He was completely blacked out. And the whole night, him, his wife, his kids, they're trying to wake him up, and he's completely passed out. He's completely out of it. Until finally, about an hour before sunrise, he sort of comes to, and his wife screams at him, it's going to be, you have an hour left till sunrise. You have an hour left to do the whole Seder. Look what you did. So he got up quickly, washed Negevasar, and he quickly got the Seder together, and he went through the thing, and he made Kiddush, and then he ate, the, uh, he ate the matzah, and he went through the whole Seder quickly within half hour, and then finally, like, Mamish, right before, you know, he was so tired, right before the sun came up, he was about to pass out again, he called his kids around him, and he said like this. He said, Kindalach, I want to apologize for what I did. I want to apologize, I want to say I'm sorry, and I promise it won't happen again. It won't happen again. But I don't want this Pesach to go down the drain. I don't want this Pesach to be lost on you. And so I want to tell you one thing that I want you all to remember for the rest of your lives. And that is that no no matter how dark an Egypt you ever fall into, no matter whatever happens to you, you know, you could just put it here, and I'll, 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 I'll do it. I, I, I could yeah. see it. Yeah, just put it on the table. Okay. That might be easier. I don't want you to get distracted. I just, I'll keep it It's okay. It. So no matter what Egypt you ever fall into, no matter what happens, it's okay. Hashem is going to take you out of that Egypt as well. You don't have to worry. As long as you know that you could, that Hashem will take you out of that Egypt, there might be a lot of Egypts you find in your life and you fall into in your life, but Hashem will take you, that's what Pesach is about, that Hashem is going to always take you out of those Egypts. And with that, he passed out. And the B'nai Soscher said to him, Moshe, you should know that since Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim, there was never a Seder that so concisely and clearly and beautifully was given over to children, because of course, what's the whole mitzvah of Pesach night? for your children. And there was never a Seder that was so clearly and distinctly that you gave over the whole idea of the Seder like you did last night. That's the story. And, and, and he, he, I mean, if, if Pesach, if the Seder is about the, the trees, the details, which of course it is, you know, pick up the wine here, cover the matz here. So we all do that. But the forest of Pesach is this story. The forest is this idea that the Bnei Sascha was trying to convey. That Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim, what does it mean freedom? What does it mean redemption? It means that a person, a Jew, has to know that Hashem will take you out of any Egypt. And even if you're not feeling that necessarily, He's still going to take you. Because the question we all have to ask is this. We're now a year into the pandemic. And we've all been through a lot of Egypts this year. We've been through a lot of Egypts, everyone in different ways and everyone, in, you know, we've been through a lot of difficulties this year. And seemingly Hashem hasn't taken us out of Egypt yet. Hashem hasn't taken us out of Egypt. That's why chapter 46 of Tanya is so important. The idea of this chapter is to understand what it means that Hashem is taking us out of Egypt, that even when we're still in Golos, Mashiach shouldn't come, if Mashiach's not going to be here, that we could still know that there's still a Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. There's still a possibility of Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. 
That's what this chapter is about, and to understand, to talk about what that means to us. So if you have the text of chapter 46 in front of you, that's great. If not, maybe even better. Listen with your mind, but more importantly, listen with your heart. Says the Alter Rebbe. Now let, let me just give a little introduction what he's talking about in these chapters. In these chapters of Tanya, he's talking about meditations to arouse love of God. It's a very big yisoid in, in, in Chassidus, that the only way to, you know, everyone always wants to feel God. You can't feel God unless you meditate about it, unless you think about God. God is an experience with the five senses, yet, till Mashiach comes. Until Mashiach comes, God is an experience with the five senses. God is experienced with meditation, with consciousness, with awareness. The wanting to feel God means having Hashem in your mind. And therefore, one of the most important fundamental things is to have things to meditate about. To know what am I supposed to be thinking about by Davin? And what is about God that I'm supposed to be thinking about? So there are some chapters that the Alter discusses what to meditate to arouse Yiras Hashem, awe of God. These chapters, he's talking about what to meditate to arouse love of Hashem. And what the Alter Rebbe is going to say is that the Indian of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, the fundamental Indian of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, is this meditation. This meditation that we're going to learn. So let's see it inside. There is yet another good way for a man, which is suitable for all and very near indeed, to arouse and kindle the light of the love of God, that is implanted and concealed in his heart, because all Jews have the love of God concealed in the heart. The, the idea is to reveal it in a conscious way, that it may shine forth with its intense light like a burning fire in the consciousness of the heart and mind to surrender his soul to God together with his body and material possessions with all his heart, all his soul, and all his might, from the depth of the heart and absolute truth, especially at the time of the recital of the Shman, its blessings, as will be explained. So this is something that's always good to meditate and think about. But he's saying, especially at the time of the saying of the Shema, as will be explained, that's the idea that the, the, it's, it's time to meditate. That's the best time to meditate on this. What's the meditation? This way is as follows. To take to heart the meaning of the verse, you should meditate on the Pasuk. It's a verse in Mishle, in Proverbs. As in water, face answers face, so does the heart of man to man. What does that mean? As in water. Water was the, is like a mirror. That was the concept of like being a mirror. I guess they didn't have mirrors back then. But in water, what face do you see in the water? What? Your face, and is it a smiling face or is it a gr- is it a grinning face? Is it a happy face, a sad face? What kind of face is it? Depending on what you show. So that's what look at look at the words. As in water, face answers face, meaning as in water, whatever face you show, that's the face you're going to see. So does the heart of man to man, meaning if I want to know how you feel about me, it's how I feel about you. Just like in water, face answers face. The way to, res- the way to get some, you know, the, <laughs> I had a friend of mine once told me that if somebody, somebody doesn't like you, you have an enemy, the best thing to do, kill them with kindness. You ever heard that phrase, kill them with kindness? Yep. Somebody doesn't like you, just keep being kind to them. Because eventually, what's going to happen if you keep being kind to them and you keep having your heart towards them? Eventually, what's going to end up happening is they're going to love you back. They're going to love you back. 
Because just like in water, face answers face, so does the heart of man to man. This means that as in the case of the likeness and features of the face which a man presents to the water, whatever face you show the water, the same identical face is reflected back to him from the water. So indeed is also the heart of a man who is loyal in his affection for another person. For this love awakens a loving response for him in the heart of his friend also. Cementing their mutual love and loyalty for each other, especially as each sees his friend's love for him. So in other words, the way to make love more strong, even between human beings, if you want to make love strong between human beings, what's the way? Is by you feeling the love. That causes the reciprocity. That causes the love to come back. Right? And it's very... It's, 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 if, if, if you want to know, when it comes to Hashem, the same type of meditation, if I want to... When it comes to another person, the way to increase the love is meditate how that person loves me or focus on how that person loves me because as in water, face answers face, right? So when it comes to Hashem, also the same thing. This meditation is to meditate on God's love for us. That's Pesach. Pesach is all about God's love for us, right? We know that, right? We know there are three main regal and three main festivals. Pesach is Chesed, Shavuos is Gvura and, and, and Sukkot is te, or, or Teferis. So in other words, Pesach is all about God's love for us. And the way to increase our love for God is by meditating on God's love for us. And that's going to be the Indian of Yitzhak Mitzrayim that he's talking about over here. So let's see. Let's, let's read inside. Oh, Now he's going to give now, this next paragraph is, the, is a very, very graphic long parable. So, but I want to get clear. Until now, he's spoken about when you have two people, regular people, two common people that if you want them to love you, love them. The way that your heart feels about them, that's how they're going to feel to you. Right? That's how you, that's how you arouse love, by you feeling love to them. Says the Alter Rebbe. Now, I want you to pay attention because this next paragraph with all the details of the parable are all going to apply to God. So it's, it's a very exact parable. Such is the common nature in the character of every man, even when they are equal in status. Two people, stamaze, that are equal in status, that's, the, that's what happens, that when you love that, that person, they'll love you back. That's even if two people are equal in status. How much more so, how do you say that in Hebrew and Gemara language? How much more so, kal how much more so, if when it comes to two regular people, that's, what, that's how you arouse love, how much more so when a great and mighty king, imagine you have a great and mighty king that rules over millions of people, shows his great and intense love for a commoner. So first he talks about a king showing his love for a common person. But not just any commoner who is despised and lowly among men. Not just any commoner. A commoner that nobody else likes. Despised and lowly among men. Think about those words. 
You know why it's important to think about those words? Because sometimes we feel like we're despised and lowly among men. Right? Sometimes we ourselves feel about ourselves that we're despised and lowly among men. A disgraceful creature cast on the dunghill. Do you know what a dunghill is? Yeah. Everyone knows what a dunghill is? Like in the good old days when they didn't have uh, running uh, water? So he's like not just a, you know, a vagabond, not just a homeless person, but a homeless person that's cast in a dunghill, that's literally filthy, disgusting, smelly. Nobody wants to get near him. Could anyone think of the past year during the pandemic when you were in a dunghill? Because you understand the dunghill doesn't mean literally a dunghill. There are spiritual dunghills, there are emotional dunghills, there are psychological dunghills, there are physical dunghills. We've all been through... In, you know, in Yiddish, it's, it sounds holy when you say it in Yiddish. We've all been in the, in the drek. Right? We've all been in the, in the poop plenty of times of this year to know what he's talking about, that you feel like a despised and lowly among men, disgraceful creature cast in the dunghill, yet the king comes down to him from the place of his glory. The king doesn't summon him. The king goes to the dunghill. The king comes down to him from the dunghill, from the place of his glory, together with all his retinue. Everyone knows what a retinue? Retinue is like when a king, a retinue is, um, you know, when a king travels, he doesn't travel by himself. He has the soldiers that come with him and his aristocrats. Like, you know, when a king travels, there's a whole bunch of fancy people coming with him. The king always goes with other people. So the king comes down to him from the place of his glory with all his retinue. Because that's going to be relevant also when we get to the, what this has to do with God. And raises him and exalts him from his dunghill and brings him into his palace. And it doesn't say that he cleans him up. It doesn't say that the king cleans him up. He just brings him into his palace. The royal palace in the innermost chamber Meaning, and the king doesn't just take him to the throne room or to the place where all the, all the other people are standing. The king takes him to his own private innermost bedroom. A place such as no servant nor lord ever enters. It's the king's innermost chamber. Are you, are you picturing this? Because it, does, it doesn't work unless you really picture this parable. The... the, the um, yeah, yeah, but the the parable is 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 ridiculous. It's it's like almost ridiculous if you think about it that such a thing could ever happen. That the king would go down to the dunghill, take him in, pass where no the lords can enter. He just brings him into his own because into his own private bedroom. And there the king shares with him the closest companionship with embraces and kisses and spiritual attachment with all heart and soul. Imagine the king hugs him and kisses him, really, really comforts him. How much more will of itself be aroused? How much more Kavuchaymer will be aroused a doubled and redoubled love in the heart of this most common 
and humble individual for the person of the king with a true attachment of spirit, heart, and soul and with infinite heartfelt sincerity. Even if his heart be like a heart of stone, it will surely melt and become like water and his soul will pour itself out like water with soulful longing for the love of the king. So if when it comes to reflection, reciprocity for simple people, how much more so when it comes to a king that raises a person up from the dunghill, how much more so is that person going to feel that much more love? Now, before we go further, does anyone have any idea what, what's, what's the... I mentioned the dunghill as being what we've all been through this year in the pandemic. But of course in Pesach, what's the ultimate dunghill? Is Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim, right? But the question is, so if Mitzrayim is that ultimate... Egypt was that ultimate dunghill, but what, is the, what does that have to do with us? Again, because the Alter Rebbe wants to teach us how we could arouse our love for God. And if this was just something that happened thousands of years ago, obviously that's not... He's talking... He, we have to all feel that it's each and every one of us. Says the Alter Rebbe, in a manner corresponding in every detail to the said figure and image, but to an infinitely greater degree, meaning in every detail, in a manner corresponding in every detail to that figure and image, but to an infinitely greater degree. Why an infinitely? Why isn't it even, even infinitely greater than the king? Why? Because God is infinitely greater than any king. We would be astounded about a king that would do such a thing. But God is infinitely greater. Has the Lord our God dealt with us? For His greatness is beyond comprehension. We're going to the next page, not the other side of the page. And he pervades all worlds and transcends all worlds, right? We know that Hashem's greatness is beyond comprehension. He pervades all worlds and transcends all worlds. Memale kol almin and sovev kol almin. What does it mean that God pervades all worlds and transcends all worlds? Pervades all worlds is that God fills the world like the soul fills the body. Where in, your, where in your body is your life, is your life force, is your chayos, is your vitality, is your soul? Where in your body? Everywhere. And in each limb according to that limb. Hashem's light pervades all worlds. Hashem's light brings into existence and fills every detail of the world. But of course God transcends all worlds. Not just this world, but even the spiritual worlds. And that's what he's going to say now. And from the Holy Zohar, as also from our Master, the Arizal, Rabbi Isaac Luria, blessed memory, it is known of the infinite multitude of Heichalot. Heichalot means divine palaces and worlds. Right, we know how many worlds are there. The Kabbalah teaches that until we get to this physical world from Ein Sof, from the infinite light of God, until this world... The Arizal, the Zohar, speak about there being a tremendous, infinite multitude of worlds. So you have to understand, this world that we're in now, this physical world, is the lowest of what's called Seder Ishtal Shulas Olamot, the downchaining of worlds. This world is the last stop. And of the countless myriads of angels in each world and Hegel. 
right? I don't know if, if, if you've ever seen in there, the Gemara already speaks about it. The Gemara asks a contradiction. He's going to say it here very soon, so let me speak it out first. The Gemara asks a contradiction from two verses in Daniel. One verse in one Pasuk in Daniel says that a troop of angels has a hundred thousand angels. A thousand thousand, I'm sorry, a million. A thousand thousand is a million. One troop, one legion of angels is a million angels. But then there's another verse that says, Hayesh mispel is there an, an amount of legions that God has? Meaning there's an infinite amount of angels. Angels are being created every moment. So the Gemara answers, one troop of angels has a million angels. But there's an infinite amount of troops of legions of angels. So when we speak about the retinue, remember in the Mushal and the parable he spoke about that the king has all his retinue? So Hashem has billions of angels. And when we speak about the angels, that's why they're, the, they're likened to the lords and the aristocrats. The angels are, are holier, seemingly, we would think, than the commoner on the dunghill. So does, and here, that's what he's going to say now. So does the Gemara note. That's exactly what I just said. He's going he's to is the, the Gemara asks a contradiction. It is written, is there any numbering of his hosts? Yet it is also written, a thousand thousands minister unto him and ten thousand times ten thousand stand before him. And the discrepancy is explained by the answer, a thousand thousand is the quote of one troop, but his troops are innumerable. Yet, before God, all of them are accounted as nothing. Hashem doesn't care about all those angels. They're accounted as nothing at all and are nullified in their very existence. You know how much, how, how much significance all those angels have to God? Those billions and infinite amount, billions of, millions of angels in one troop and an infinite amount of angels. He said, all of them are accounted as nothing at all and are nullified in their very existence just as one word is truly nullified in relation to the essence and being of their articulate soul. Meaning if you want to have a picture, all the worlds, all the angels, how, much, how significant is it for any one of us to say one word, to articulate a word? How much of who you are do you invest when you say a word? Give me a fraction. Very little. That's all the angels. All the worlds vis-a-vis God is like for one of us to say one word. While the utterance was still held in its faculty of thought and the will and desire of the heart as has been explained above at length. So you have all these angels, all these worlds. And all these angels ask, I makam All the angels are asking, where is the place of his glory? All the angels want to know, where is God? And then they answer, the whole earth is full of his glory. That is, his people Israel. So where, where does God care? Where is God interested? Where does he pay attention? Where is his focus, so to speak? Of course, God is aware of everything at all times, obviously. But what, is, what, what interests Him? Where does He focus on? Where is the place of His glory? Where, where does the King really go? Where does He want to be? Who does He want to be with? His people Israel, with the Jew. For the Holy One, blessed be He, forsakes the higher and lower creatures. When he says forsakes here, it doesn't mean like literally forsakes. Like he means to say like he doesn't pay attention to them. It's like you know, like when you're 
you, you have, um, you know, when you go to your kid's play in school and there's like, you know, 50 kids in the play and you just like are just waiting for that five minutes where your kid has a role, right? So you're watching, you have to sit there and watch the entire play, but you're forsaking them. You're not really in, you're looking at your son. He forsakes the higher and lower creatures, choosing none of them, but Israel, his people, whom he brought out of Egypt. And now he comes to Pesach. Now he comes to the whole idea of Pesach. Now he comes to why this is connected to Pesach first, and then we're going to get it connected to us, but at first on a national level. First he's going to explain it on a national level, and then he's going to explain it every human being on an individual level. So in a national Israel, that was the deliverance from Egypt. If you think about that parable, literally that parable is what Pesach is about. That's what we're celebrating on Pesach, that parable. For the Holy One, blessed be He, forsakes the higher and lower creatures, choosing none of them but Israel as people whom He brought out of Egypt, the obscenity of the earth, Erva Sa'aretz, the place of filth and impurity. Right? Egypt is known as the place of filth and impurity, the dunghill. Egypt was known as the most impure out of all places. I don't know about uh, compared to today. I mean, today we, you know, people have graduated, but back then it was the obscenity of the earth, not through the agency of an angel nor of a seraph, but the Holy One, blessed be He Himself in His glory. You see, this is you see this is in quotation marks. The this sentence, not through the agency of an angel. This is quoting from the Haggadah. That's why it's in it's in quotation. It's in the Haggadah. Not through the agency of an angel, nor of a seraph, but the Holy One, blessed be He Himself in His glory, descended there, as it is written, and I am come down to deliver them. Like we said before, the king doesn't send an invitation. The king himself goes down to deliver them in order to bring them near to him, in order that Hashem wanted to bring us near to him in true closeness and unity with a truly soulful attachment. Look how beautiful the words are. With a truly soulful attachment. Meaning, it's not that just that Hashem... See, people have a wrong understanding that like God just like took us out of Egypt and then gave it the Torah. Now do what I'm telling you to do. It's love. It's out of having a soulful attachment that God wants us to be able to commune with Him in a soulful way on the level of kisses of mouth to mouth. Now when it came to the, the, the parable, it just said that the king kissed and hugged him. Here, when it comes to the nimshal, when it comes to with God, he's getting even more graphic. It's kisses of mouth to mouth. How do you kiss God mouth to mouth? By means of uttering the word of God, namely the halacha. Meaning you say by learning Torah. When you with your mouth are saying words of Torah, Hashem is kissing you mouth to mouth. All of Hashem is in your mouth. Kissing you. That's from the Zohar, by the way. The Zohar talks about what's called Izdapkus Rucha Berucha, the cleaving of spirit to spirit. That's what, a, that's what a kiss on the mouth is, that one spirit cleaves to another spirit. 
And that's what Hashem does with us when we learn Torah. And the fusion of spirit to spirit, namely the comprehension of the Torah and the knowledge of His will and wisdom, all of which is truly one with God. Why is the Torah kissing God? Because Torah is one with God. Torah is one with Hashem. Also with a form of embrace. In the parable we had kisses and we had an embrace. What's, what's the embrace? Namely, the fulfillment of the positive mitzvahs with the 248 organs for the 248 mitzvahs are the 248 organs of the king, as has been explained earlier in chapter 4. What does he mean over here, the 248 limbs of the king? Anyone ever heard of that concept before? There are 248 limbs in a body. But that's, he's talking about God. So what does it mean that the 248 positive mitzvahs are the 248 organs of the king, Ramache Varin de Malka, they're the organs of Hashem. Mitzvahs are the way that you are uniting with Hashem. Mitzvahs are the way uniting with Hashem. That is, when you do a mitzvah, when you learn Torah, when, when you do a mitzvah, you're embracing Hashem. That's why it's important to do mitzvahs with the body, with the physical body, because you're actually, when you're, when you're doing a mitzvah with your physical body, with your mouth, you're bringing God's infinite being on you, literally. You know, just on a, on a personal note, this, I know this has been a difficult winter for everyone, so, you know, but we've all had, diff, it's been quite the year. Just when you think about those days, when you were in, let's say, those dunghill days, right? There was that movie with Al Pacino, The, the Dog Days of Summer. What was it, The Dog Days of Summer? So this is like the dog days of the pandemic, right? Those, the really bad dunghill days. And, to think that even so, when you learn Torah, you do a mitzvah, Hashem is coming to you. There's nothing stopping between you and Hashem. And if you think back to those days that when you, have a, when you were having such a hard time or still having a hard time, and to think that at that moment, no matter how the Egypt is and how much you're in that dunghill, the king is coming down to you and bringing you into his innermost chamber. What does it mean bringing it into his innermost chamber? What's the, what's the idea of, what's the innermost chamber? What's the idea of that parable? How, how do we see that? How, how, what's, the, what's the idea, what's that part of the parable? Dveikus. But And what does it mean innermost chamber, the place where no Lord can enter? A dveikus that no angel could ever have. Because when you, uh, the, the, the angels can't do mitzvahs. They never able to connect with the Ein Sof. Angels are all mamalekol almond. Angels are only the contracted light of God. Don't forget, angels are created beings. And as created beings within the worlds, they're, con- they're part of God's contracted light. They never get to unite with Ein Sof, with God's infinite being. These mitzvahs in a general way are divided, the Kabbalah divides the mitzvahs into three categories, right, left, and center, corresponding to the body, right? In a proper balanced body, there's the right, the right, the left, and the center part of the body. So in Kabbalah explains that the 248 mitzvahs correspond for there to be proper balance and flow to all the different parts of the body, right, left, and center. And that's why it's like an embrace. Look what he says. 
namely chesed, din, and rachamim, kindness, justice, and mercy, which are the two arms and the body and so forth. So it's literally Hashem embracing a person fully. Says the Alter Rebbe, and if you think that he hasn't gotten graphic enough yet, this is the meaning. Now, so, so for, let me just make sure. Has everyone gotten so far how the parable, we, how, we, how we explain the parable? So the parable explains to, is when he took us out of Egypt and gave us Torah mitzvahs, right? So on one hand, that's what Pesach is about. That's what Pesach when he did on a national level. But the Alter Rebbe is not just talking about Yitzhiya Mitzrayim here. He, he spoke about over here when he came down to Egypt to bring us to his innermost chamber. But it's not just talking about when he took us out of Egypt. What's it also talking about? It's talking about each time every one of us does a mitzvah. Each time every one of us sits and learns Torah. Right now Hashem is literally with us. Because it doesn't matter which Egypt you're in on an individual level or a global national level, Hashem comes down there. And says the Alter Rebbe, and then this is the deeper meaning of the text of the bracha. What do we, every time before we make a mitzvah, we do a mitzvah, what bracha do we make? Asher kiddishanu b'mitzvah right? Asher kiddishanu b'mitzvotav. Asher kiddishanu b'mitzvotav. What do those words mean, literally? He sanctified us with his commandments, right? But the Alderba says that the word kiddishanu also has in it the word kiddushin. What's kiddushin? To marry. To marry. So asher kiddishanu b'mitzvaysav literally means he married us with his mitzvahs. He marries us with his mitzvahs. Like one who betrothes a wife that she may be united with him with a perfect bond, right? Perfect bond means that they consummate, they become united. As it is written, and he shall cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh. Marriage is about a man and a woman becoming one flesh at the time of intimacy. Asher kiddishonu b'mitzvaysav. That's how graphic he gets. With the king, he stopped at the kisses and hugs. But when it comes to Hashem, He's going all the way. Because it literally is a perfect union. It's a totally intimate union. Becoming one flesh with God. Exactly so. And we're going to the other side of the first page. Exactly so and even infinitely surpassing. Everyone have it? is the union of the divine soul that is occupied in Torah and mitzvahs and of the vivifying soul, meaning the vivifying soul is your, the soul that's actually in your body, not just the divine soul, the soul that makes your hands move, the soul that makes you breathe. Even more so is the unity, the union of the divine soul and your, divine, your vivifying soul and the garments referred to above with the light of the blessed Ein Sof. That light of Orin Sof, Hashem's infinite light, before which all the worlds are nullified or insignificant, all the angels can't even get there. You become completely unified when you do a mitzvah. Look how beautiful now. Therefore did Solomon, peace unto him, in the Song of Songs, we all know what Shira Shiram about. Shira Shiram, the Song of Songs, is a love story, a love poem between Hashem and the Jewish people. 
And again, if you read some of the... Without Hasidus, you might think it's just a love story of Hashem and the Jewish people in Egypt or the Jewish people nationally. Says the Altar, but no, it's talking about every single person individually when you do a mitzvah, when you learn Torah, when you do what you need to do to connect to Hashem. Therefore did Solomon, peace on Tim, in the Song of Songs compare this union with the union of bridegroom and bride in attachment, desire and pleasure, embrace and kissing. People don't usually think about that when they daven or do mitzvahs. Attachment, desire, pleasure, embracing and kissing. But that's what Hasidah says. That's what Pesach is about. That's what Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim is. No matter what dunghill you've fallen into, no matter where you find yourself, no matter how sad one is, or how depressed one is, or how anxious one is. If a, and and I, I'm sure you all could tell me stories, and I could tell you stories of days that I didn't think I'd be able to get out of bed, that we all had those days, those days where it was, it's been a really rough year, but if you know that Hashem with attachment, desire, pleasure, embracing, and kissing, He sometimes, you know, it could be that Hashem sometimes puts us in that dunghill, just so we should be able to appreciate His love. That even there, even, the, even in that place, Hashem comes down to us. Now, the Alter Rebbe is now going to say another explanation of the words, Asher Kedishana B'Mitzvah He's going to give two interpretations of these words, and we're going to see how they're connected, okay? So the first interpretation of Asher Kedishana B'Mitzvah what does Kedishanu mean? Marriage. Kedushan. But then he adds another thing. This is also the meaning of Asher Kedushanu B'Mitzvah another explanation of the words, Asher Kedushanu B'Mitzvah who sanctified us with His commandments, by means of which He has raised us to the heights of the blessed supreme holiness, which is the holiness of the Holy One, blessed be He Himself. Because Kedusha, holiness, is a term indicating aloofness, in that the Holy One, blessed be He, is apart from the worlds, namely His quality of soviv kolalman, encompassing all worlds, which cannot be called within them. In other words, what's the second explanation of Asher Kedisha Nubi Mitzvah of That Hashem with His mitzvahs raised us up to Kedishanu, to His Kedusha. How holy are you when you do a mitzvah? As holy as God. Asher Kedishanu. B'mitzvaysav. Kedusha means aloofness. We all know that, right? In Torah, the holier something is, the more separate it is. When something is holy, it's separate. That's why a day like Shabbos, you have to separate from labor. A day, Yantiv is a little less holy, you're allowed to cook. Yom Kippur is holy, or you have to separate from eating. Or like in Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, only certain people could go. Further into the Temple, only certain people could go. The Holy of Holies, only the Kohen. Holy means separate. So when you call God Kedusha HaKadosh Baruch Hu, what does it mean Hashem's Kedusha? What's Hashem's holiness? It's that state of the Ein Sof where no angels could get to. Where all the worlds are only Mamali Kolam and they're only contracted light of Hashem. Kedushanu is that Hashem raises us up to His level of Kedusha that encompasses all worlds. His level of Seif of Kolam and of Kedusha of Yudke Vavke, His Kedusha, His level, His essence that's what he raises us up to. So now, he gave two explanations of the words Asher Kedushan of Do you see how they're interdependent? Well, let's keep reading. I'm sorry. Let's keep reading. 
Why and how does it how does that raise us up to his level of kedusha? For through the union of the soul with and its absorption into the light of the blessed Ain Sof, when this, the union of the soul and its absorption into the light of the Ain Sof, you have to think of these words. You have to understand Tanya is not a book that you read once and you like put it on the shelf. Tanya is, is you know, you have to review this, you have to get these words stamped onto your soul. Because Hasidus is teaching, Tanya wants to train you that when you do a mitzvah, what are you doing? Your soul is become, becoming absorbed into the light of the blessed Ein Sof, into the infinite. That's what a mitzvah is. Intimacy with God. Intimacy with the divine. Your soul is becoming absorbed and unified with the blessed Ein Sof. Since it unites itself with and is integrated into Him, Look at those words. Since it unites itself with and is integrated into him, may he be blessed. And they become one in reality. Those moments that you're davening, you're learning Torah, you're doing a mitzvah, no matter, you are right now at that moment in the king's innermost chamber. So we have two explanations of Asher Kedushan of Mitzvah The second one is that he brought us up to his level of Kedusha. The first one is that it's marriage. How do those two interpretations go together? You see, he gave two separate explanations of Asher Kedushan of Mitzvah but really they're interconnected. He, he, he's, he didn't forget what he just said before. Why are, the, why are these two explanations of Asher Kedushan of Mitzvah interconnected? Huh? The intimacy. The intimacy, exactly. In other words, the intimacy is that he raises us up to his essence. That's the intimacy. In other words, each and every one of us have relationships with a lot of different people. And Hashem also has relationships with every single being in, 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 in the universe, with every blade of grass, with every fish, with every rock. Hashem is aware of every, bla- of every rock in the world. And yet, just like when we have relationship with most people, you'll forgive me for saying it, but we have all our clothes on. <laughs> right? Most people you don't kiss and hug. Most people you just talk to. How does Hashem create the world? He talks. His speech becomes the world. His speech, Baruch She'amar Olam, He speaks and the worlds come into existence. His speech become the angels. His speech become the world. All the worlds. But the intimacy with God Himself, Asher Kiddushonu B'Mitzvah that He brought us up to the level of His Kedusha, Kedusha Sa'atzmus, the Kedusha of Hashem's infinite being. Right? That is the marriage. That's the Kiddushan of Mitzvah That's why these two explanations go together. This is the meaning of the verse, and you shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and I have separated you from other peoples that you should be mine, and you shall do all my commandments and be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God. And here the altar is being with that. You should be mine. I am the Lord your God. Your God. Possessive. You should be mine and I am yours. Look at the two verses. You should be holy unto me. Holy, which we've learned, means raised up to God's infinite being. I've separated you from other peoples that you should be mine. And then I'm the Lord, your God. I'm yours and you're mine. 
The meaning is that through fulfillment of the mitzvahs, I become your God in the same sense as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and so on. Meaning just like Avram and Yitzhak were also, God was called the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. We say in Shmoneser, right? Why, are, why, are, why is, in Shmoneser we call God the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. Why? In the possessive, why? Because the patriarchs were, as it were, a vehicle unto him. The patriarchs were literally a vehicle unto God. What's the difference between how close, what the altar was saying, that when you do a mitzvah and your connection to God, what's the difference between that and Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov? Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov were 24-7. We're only when we do the mitzvah. Right? The, the re, in other words, a tzaddik is a vehicle unto God all the time. Where I, I don't know, I, I don't know some of you, but, but, but I assume most of you are not all the time vehicles of God. So the patriarchs, tzaddikim, holy people, always feel God on them. Always feel that they're connected to God. So we are not like that, so therefore nobody would say, God of Rabbi Baron, <laughs> right? God of, uh, no, we wouldn't say that. God of Abraham, because Abraham was literally a vehicle for God. So we're not like that all the time, but we are like that when we do Torah mitzvahs. And that's why, and, 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 and they were nullified and absorbed into His light. Look at the words. So it is with the soul of every Jew at the time that she, he or she occupies himself with Torah and mitzvahs. Every single Jew at that moment is as united with God like the patriarchs. Therefore, the rabbis of blessed memory made it obligatory for us to stand and remain standing in the presence of every person who's engaged in a mitzvah, even if the person is uncultured and illiterate. If a person walks in wearing tefillin, you have to stand for them. If a person is, is you know, lighting a Shabbos candle and you go near that person, you have to stand when a mitzvah is being done. Why? Why do you have to stand when a person does a mitzvah? Why? Even if the person's illiterate, uncultured and illiterate. This is because the Lord dwells and clothes himself in this person's soul at such time. Because God is in that person. God is in that person at that moment. But now the altar is going to ask a question which I was waiting for somebody to ask, but I think maybe we're too shy. So how come we don't feel anything? You said because of the, in the beginning, because we don't feel God for five senses. We have to meditate on God. Right, so yes, that's true. But the question is, why can't I feel God with my, God's, with my five senses if during a mitzvah I'm having the Ein Sof intimate with me to that extension? Why can I not experience God with my five senses? Why? If, if I'm having such a union with God, yeah. why am I not feeling anything? What's, what's, what's happening? I think we're just blocked. What's blocked? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're blocked. We're covered under all this stuff. stuff exactly. Exactly. So we have no idea. Like, I can't, like, if we can walk around and see that ourselves as divine light beings, which is how we should be seeing each other in a perfect sense, I should see like her Regina glowing right now. 
It's like we 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 look like like Moshe coming down from the mountain. He's glowing with the face of a shepherd. You know, like and he has to almost cover himself. It's like that's what we need to see in everything. If we could only see at that level, and that's what Sadiqim are able to see even in the lowest person. All of a sudden, Moishla is the hero of the story. Exactly. He, he, exactly. Moishla didn't think that he was the hero of no, the story. No, of course not. Right. And nor can I, because I'm, I beat myself up all the time. You know, like, but you know, if we can only we. see each other, if yeah. We, yeah, if we can only see each other for yeah, and in everything, you know how just incredible every single we're all just divine emanations. So. Yeah. So that's what he says. Look, that's what he exactly good at. That's what he says inside. He says. Though what? Said I've heard a lot of your voice notes. He was building up for this. He says though his soul is unconscious of it, because of the barrier of the bodily grossness. He doesn't mean grossness like you know we say gross. He means the 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 coarseness of it. Yeah. His soul is unconscious, though his soul is unconscious of it because of the barrier of the bodily grossness which has not been purified and which dims the eyes of the soul, preventing it from, I'm going to the second side of the other page, preventing it from seeing divine visions as experienced by the patriarch. So we don't, we're not able to see these divine visions like the patriarchs and others of their stature who saw their world during their lifetime. They had a taste of the world to come during their lifetime. So the example, to, 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 to give an example is like this. You have a person, let's say right now, um, nobody could see my mask, right? Nobody could see it, correct? No. You can't see it. You can't see it. But if let's say now everyone could see it, but let's say now you close your eyes. You, you won't see, you, again, you won't see it, mm-hmm. right? So there are different ways of things being hidden. And what the Alter Rebbe is saying is that our eyes, our consciousness is too coarse to be able to experience what's happening, exactly like Evan is saying. We can't feel it, but that doesn't mean it's not there completely. <laughs> this is also the meaning of what Asaf said under divine inspiration. He's quoting from Tehillim now. One of the psalms, one of the chapters of Tilam that starts, Mizmor La'asaf. This is a psalm of Asaf that Asaf said on behalf of the whole community of Israel in exile. So foolish was I. So this is a Pasuk in Tehillim. This is from Psalms. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before you. Yet I am continually with you. Look at the words. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was like a beast, like an animal before you. Yet, am I continually with you. I might be like an animal. This means that even though I am as like an animal when I am with you, being unaware of and I'm insensitive to this union in my soul, I don't feel that's what happens when I daven shmona esrei. I don't feel that's what happens when I, when I, when I learn. I don't feel it when I give tzedakah, this, this union of my soul, which should bring down on it fear and awe first, followed by a great love of delights or a burning love like fiery coal, similar to the quality of the tzaddikim. We should be feeling incredible love. You know, I, I saw once, they found in a cellar in a couple of years, and not too long ago, not too, about 15 years ago, they found in some attic, in some shul in Europe, crates of books of Jews that were taken to the concentration camps. Just crates. 
some shul like like that. I guess somehow I don't know how they found the, all these books that were hidden up in some attic somewhere. And one of the books there was a sitter, they, and they printed it. I, I actually saw because it was printed in a magazine, a sitter that belonged to some Jew that was killed. And in the sitter, thank you very much. Let me tell you what he wrote. You know, in the sitter, there's a place where it says where you put your talis on, Levisha's talis goda, where you put your talis on. Thank you very much. In that place where it says where you put a, where you put your talis on. So this person had written in the margin of the sitter that he heard from the Koznitzer Magid. Listen to this. He heard from the Koznitzer Magid that if you would put together all the pleasure that anyone that does sin, all the Balayavera, all the people that sin in the world, imagine all the people in the world that do sins, and you put together all the pleasure that they're feeling. The Kajitzer Magid said that doesn't come anywhere near to the pleasure that I feel when I put on my talis. Did you imagine? I wish. Because the, I mean, and based on what we learned tonight, it should be obvious why that's the case. Because the talis is connecting with God. All the pleasure that you get through sin is, is sachakol is finite. But the talis, the Kajitzer Magid was mamish connecting with Hashem. So he says, really, we don't feel it. We're insensitive to this union of the soul, which should bring down on it a fear and awe first followed by a great love of delights, a burning love like fiery coals, similar to the quality of tzaddikim whose corporeality has been purified. For as is known, das, consciousness, connotes a sensitivity of the soul. That's what we're missing is the sensitivity of the soul. Comp- comprising chesed and gvur, yet I'm... Could, and so, but even though, what's the Pesach say? Even though I'm like an animal, and I don't feel, and I'm not sensitive to what's happening, but what's the end of the Pesach? What's the end of the Pesach? I was as a beast before you, yet I'm continually with you. That's what he finishes the paragraph. Yet I'm continually with you. For the corporeality of the body does not prevent the union of the soul with the light of the blessed Ein Sof who fills all worlds as it is written. The darkness hides not from you. Darkness doesn't hide you. What we feel or not, whether we see the... When our, if I'm blind because my eyes are closed, it doesn't change the fact that that's what's happening. And that's what, that's what Yitzhiya Mitzrayim is. And then he lets he just let's just quickly finish over here. Thereby will be understood the severity of the punishment for transgressing the provision of Shabbos or Chometz on Pesach, which equally applies to all. In other words, what's the difference if the biggest tzaddik, if Moses himself profanes the Shabbos, or any Jew on the street? No difference. For even in the soul of an uncultured and completely illiterate person shines the light of the sanctity of Shabbos or Yantiv. Doesn't matter whether you accept it or not; it's still shining on you. Whether you accept it or not, it's only a question of you know. You could stand under Niagara Falls for an hour, and then after you leave, somebody will say to you, "Could you give me a drink?" And you say, "I don't have any water." Unless you have a cup, unless you make yourself, unless you accept, you make yourself a vessel to accept the Shabbos and Yantav, But it's still shining. Hence, he still faces punishment, the same profanation of the sanctity. Similarly, there's the same when it comes to chametz, the handling of muktza, tarnishes the sanctity which rests on his soul, just as it would the sanctity of the soul of a tzaddik, for we all have one Torah. 
And that's the idea of Pesach. That's what Moishala, that's what the B'nai Soscher was saying to Moishala, that we have to know. And this is what it means to teach what it means Torah Mitzvahs to people. Torah Mitzvahs is intimacy with Hashem. And Yetzias Mitzrayim, the exodus from Egypt, is to know that no matter what the situation, no matter how hard the situation, whether in a state of impurity, whether in a state of difficulty, still do the mitzvahs. Learn Torah as much as we can because Hashem is taking us out of that Egypt. And we might not feel it. That's the Chiddush over here. You might still feel like you're still in Egypt. And yet it's still Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. It's still an exodus from Egypt when you do Torah mitzvahs. Torah mitzvahs, and that's why Hashem took us out to begin with, and that's what happens every single time we do now Torah mitzvahs. That's what Pesach is all about. Pesach is about the ability to know that there ain't no Egypt dark enough, and there ain't no Egypt low enough. There's no place where God ain't going to come down to get us and, and connect with us. We should be zoichim Hashem, this Pesach, to really feel Hashem coming into our lives and He should take us out of all constraints and of all of Egypt's physical Egypt's and psychological Egypt's and emotional Egypt's and spiritual Egypt's and we should all be zoicha to see that intimacy with Hashem and all those times that we did Torah mitzvahs we should be zoicha to see how we were intimate with Hashem all those times we should see with our physical eyes with the coming of Mashiach Tzidkenu oh, Questions? Yeah, go ahead this is the last part we need to finish here. There's the one thing I put question marks around. So my question. So, I, I, what's the question? Well, there's not really a question. Just like a feeling. I was feeling. I feel great in chapter 46 until the last part, where I'm like, I'm judge on the level of Sadiq when I when I sin. You know, that's where I felt like a little bit like like wait a second. I get it. He didn't I say. Get it. I understand what you're saying, right. but like I'm like. He didn't say you're judged at the level, same level as a tzaddik. I have chorus. He I... didn't say you're. Ju- he said obviously when Hashem judges us, He always takes people into consideration. Their yeah. different, the different circumstances. Just... He means to say that he, the opposite. He wants to tell you that the sanctity of Shabbos by you is the same as by a tzaddik. The punishment of Shabbos. You have to. There's two things. There's punishment of Shabbos. And then there's how each particular person is judged whether they will get that punishment or not, right? He's not getting, the judging, he's not getting into. He's just saying, why should it be that if the most simple Jew does something on Shabbos, whatever, or eats chametz and Pesach, they don't feel anything. Why should he, why should he get a punishment? Why, why should he, Hashem care as much as by a tzaddik? And the answer is because Shabbos and Pesach is the same. That's what he, he's not talking about the judgment. He's talking about the profaning the sanctity. The, that, that, that's the, see, that's the words he says. The profanation of the sanctity. If the profaning the sanctity is the same. The judgment is not going to be the same. Don't forget, Evan, you know that the Chazal, the sages say, Shabbos. Shabbos, you're supposed to be thinking about God all day to the extent that Chazal almost didn't even let somebody say words of Torah on Shabbos. Meaning that a tzaddik has to, on Shabbos, a tzaddik profanes the sanctity of Shabbos if they're not thinking about God all the time. So he's not talking about judgment. He's talking about profaning. He's talking about that the sanctity is the same. Understand? Yeah. Well, I, 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 first of all, should thank you. I, I, I no, no. in the beginning of thank you to Regina and to Rafal for setting up and for, 
for allowing the shir to, to, to start again, Mitzvah Shem. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm curious. So in my own life, I have felt that, of course, I don't always feel when I'm doing mitzvahs, but I do feel a kind of like a trickle effect. Like I, I feel the growth. So I wonder, is there anything to do as far as chus to actually feel like more of the light from the things that we're doing? and Meditate before you do them. Don't just do, never just do a mitzvah. In other words, first of all, like before you do a mitzvah, it's always good to like, to, to sit and think about what's happening. You know, you wash your hands before you do a mitzvah. It's, it's, it's how much you, like I said, when you're standing on a Niagara Falls, how much water are you going to maintain? Depends how big a cup you have. So, that, you know, in Yiddish, you know, you say head in Yiddish is a cup. So how much you put your cup, you have to, you have to put your cup to receive the... So it's, it's really just a question of how much effort you put into making yourself conscious of what's happening. You know how often I read this chapter? At least once a month. At least. This is, this, this is, this is what you should be thinking about when you do a mitzvah. Read this again, think about this, and, 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 and to have that amuna that you're leaving Egypt. Your mom is leaving Mitzrayim for those moments. So the Kavana is brought down through just meditating and, and, and opening up to the consciousness. It's not like a feeling, it's more of an all... Well, how do you get a feeling? Experience. How do you get a feeling if not through meditation right. and consciousness? Right. That is how you get the feeling. Yeah, and then my other follow-up, maybe it's not follow-up, just a different question is, so there's, there's a gap, right? When we're taken out of Egypt in the 40 years, we're in the and we get for can you say anything about that as far as we got how the, it might relate to getting into the chamber with Hashem? And what you mean the 49 days after we left Egypt? Is it 49? No, I 40 think years. Not. Well, we got the Torah 40... It's more like, you know, like, you know, like... Just a time yeah. between. When we left Egypt, we, got, we left Egypt and then we counted the Omer, right? The 49 days and we got the Torah. Oh, okay. So we those... Four, the desert for 40 years after. Right. The 49... That was after the spies. The 49 days of counting the Torah is exactly what your first question was. So. That's exactly what Sphere Omer is. To spend the time preparing to be able to receive it. When you do a mitzvah, Hashem's coming down to you. Hashem's being intimate with you. The question, are you being intimate back? Can you feel the love? Can you feel the, can you feel the love tonight? Right. That's actually the sticker I had on the fives. <laughs> Can you feel the love tonight?